Welcome to the SSI Orbit Podcast, a forum that explores everything pertinent to digital trust. And I'm your host, Mathieu Glaude. I've been starting to think more recently, just having been involved with different forms of digital identity, both on like personal identity and then organizational identity, seeing a lot less friction perhaps on the organizational identity side of things, whereas on personal, you end up having political concerns, privacy concerns, there's things that you maybe don't have on the organizational side of things, but at the same time, organizational identity is a very complex area in its own. So it, it may be worth going into some of the differences between both of those and maybe just discussing why organizational identity is perhaps more human than we think. I uh, I like to kind of recount my my SSI journey. Uh, and you're right, as, as you kind of go through how uh, we've thought of SSI and and I think a lot of it comes from you know the personal desire to be able to have more agency and control over um, your own identity information and and so that I, I feel like that point of view helped to launch uh, a lot of this ecosystem uh, and the technologies that we use. But in a lot of ways that, kind of built on itself uh, over time. And the more that we looked into ourselves and what personal identity is, uh, the more we realized how complex uh, our desires are. So just as you're saying, there's political concerns, privacy concerns, you know, GDPR issues and and all the these kinds of things that um, I think the SSI community and, and the technology stack related to it has had to uh, take on and and it's a big undertaking and often those stacks of technology and uh, the way we implemented them you know had limitations uh, just from you know what we're capable of doing and what was already built and and but but in a lot of ways there was uh, a reasoning by analogy uh, is the term that I, you know I like because I like to think about things in terms of first principles um, construction and and reasoning by analogy. So reasoning by analogy being, uh, you know, let's think about the technologies that we currently have, you know, uh, when SSI really started to gain traction, uh, you know, uh, cryptocurrency blockchains uh, were, were a big thing. So, you know, could we do a public permissionless uh, implementation and you know, with that decentralization, you know, provide some new layer of of security. And so um, I think that trying to leverage those technologies over time and improve upon them and and trying to think about the problem in terms of, uh, you know, the, the personal needs that we have has made uh, the SSI solutions um, somewhat limited uh well significantly limited i guess uh and and so um just from an organizational identity side because uh it's it's a big problem to begin with i think that um building a stack based on the variety of organizations that can exist you know on our planet 
uh, you know, requires an, an approach that's uh, more of first principles approach uh, that that takes into account. I, I, I like that term, um, you know, an identity uh, stack and 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 um, a, an implementation for identity that's uh, more human, but also in a lot of ways it's more legal. Uh, it's more legal focused because just to you know kind of take it to like a a, a human level uh you know families are an organizational unit right and and they have uh you know dynamics to them that are complicated but um when families run into kind of legal situations which is where where a lot of our society is built right uh it's 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 a weird dynamic uh, but organizations are very used to dealing with um, kind of the the legal aspect, right? They start by you know having to go through a legal process uh, to to be created uh, and then um, taxed and governed and regulated and all these kinds of things. And and so I consider organizational identity to have two benefits uh, that that I think gives it advantage um, over kind of the original. Uh, genesis of of kind of SSI technologies, that it it is a big enough problem that um, you're forced into that first principles um, solution, which we'll, we'll unpack over time, I think. Um, but also at the same time, you have a framework for how business is done, uh, and that includes uh, legal aspects, and and the legal frameworking provides uh, some restrictions that allow you to actually um, produce a, a solution that I think is is really valuable uh, and 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 can possibly be the actual seed for SSI to expand. And so the idea that you have to build from first principles and the limitations of kind of the legal frameworking that organizations have to work within seems to be um, something special. Whereas on personal identity, we hear about data privacy or data protection laws when it comes to consumers, like GDPR as an example, which like, honestly, if we, if we look at the ways that organizations have implemented controls or at least put in place implementations to ensure that they adhere to GDPR, we're in an environment where it's just every day we're clicking checkboxes online without reading whatever is underneath that and that's been kind of the the response to to gdpr so you, you did talk a little bit about different types of legal requirements like i i think an organization is a legal structure to to begin with with different rules baked into governance of, of that organization so ultimately a legal entity is governed and managed by individuals and so at the same time that you don't have those same like privacy concerns or political concerns within an organization, like an organization is a public entity and maybe they don't have the same privacy needs that just an individual has, but they're still meshed with individuals that are delegated different tasks or different jobs. Does that additional delegation just add to the complexity of what organizational ID means? And then I, I guess organizational ID is probably a pretty broad term as well, right? We could be talking yeah. about so many different types of claims or attestations. Just on something really important there that I probably should have 
mentioned earlier is that a lot of times when we thought about personal identity, we thought in terms of uh, your public self and your private self uh, and how to manage that. And so that's part of, uh, um, you know, the difficulty of creating, uh, again, the technology stack plus the, you know, dealing with just the different points of view. But yeah, public facing identity uh, that we have within organizations is probably an easier starting point uh, for identity. And and so um, just to kind of frame organizational identity in, in terms of, uh, you know, my work, uh, I, so I am a software developer for Glyph, uh, and that's uh, a global organization. It's it's the Global Legal Entity Identifier uh, Foundation, uh, and they were created um, as a response to the 2008 financial crisis. And and in the 2008 uh, financial crisis, essentially, one of the most important lessons learned was that there are banks uh, that own banks that own banks and how as a regulator or or how do we as a society um, gauge the risk that uh, a single bank has, right? These are pillars essentially to our financial um, industry. But if a, if a, bank is exposed to a particular set of risks, uh, you know, real estate type risks. Uh, and then that bank also owns multiple other banks that that have exposed themselves in the same way to that risk. Um, then it, 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 if you're not aware of the hierarchy of those banks, uh, and who owns them and, uh, you know, who is responsible, uh, you know, who are the officers of that bank, who are the representatives of that bank, uh, you know, it becomes very hard to gauge uh, kind of the fragility of your financial system. So organizational identity, especially legal identities, uh, that's that's what I'm, I've been focused on. That's what Glyph uh, is focused on. Uh, and that in that case you want transparency uh and so you want these identifiers uh the identities uh, associated with this both for the companies and the individuals uh you want that to be as transparent as possible um so that you can uh pop properly regulate and, and gauge risk uh and so i think that's another aspect that just makes organizational identity um a really great starting point uh, and yeah, societally, our governor, our governments, and you know, financial institutions, and pretty much everything that we've done, we've set up from a legal framework uh, of these legal entities. And uh, there are still privacy aspects, absolutely, uh, and there, once again, requires uh, yeah, this first principles approach in order to kind of take on the task of of even just being able to craft the identities in a way that uh, this kind of takes it back to the human. It needs to have the mechanisms necessary to make it so that there's not a single representative of a bank, right? The CEO will say, and, uh, you know, since we're talking about SSI and cryptography, uh, you know, the CEO, uh, you know, 
it's going to make cryptographic signatures uh, for particular contracts or something like that. But you don't want the CEO or just the representatives for the company alone to have to uh, do all the heavy lifting uh, uh, for for the company to be able to do anything, right? You want uh, there to be some form of delegation uh, within that company. And so you have to be able to produce these hierarchies of identifiers and credentials uh, that allow um, these companies to essentially express themselves exactly as they've been crafted, especially in, in legal documents, uh, but then also in terms of their employees and, and who reports to who. Yeah, the, the kind of identity stack and, and governance framework need to be able to support those operations uh, for these companies. And so tackling that from like a public standpoint, uh, where, you know, just let's say from a regulator's point of view, you know, if you're a bank regulator, then yeah, you, you want to be able to understand um, when you receive, let's say, uh, you know, a financial report, you'll want to be able to trace where that information came from, right? Is it is it authentic from from that company? And then kind of what is the delegation of, of authority for the different signatures, right? Because maybe the CEO makes a, a statement of the whole summary, uh, but at the same time, you know, the CFO uh, is making financial statements about the the company and 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 then other uh, representatives are, are making statements, you know, uh, related to the operations, let's say, of that company, so on and so forth. So it's it's it, it requires uh, quite a bit of effort, especially in the initial implementation of the stack, uh, so a technological stack, that's first principled, and then also the governance stack. Um, I, I haven't mentioned that much, but uh, essentially the Glyph has uh, created both uh, a technical stack and a governance stack, um, and those things married together uh, are, are what really gives identity seeds the the organiza organizational identity ecosystem and that's a that's kind of another thing that you know when i was first learning about uh, ssi technologies often people talk about these technological stacks uh and you know different features and things like that and uh you know I i'm very passionate about those things i'm a software developer but uh without a governance stack tied to it it gets complicated really fast about how what do you trust and 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 who can you trust how how do you you know from a grassroots level let's say um you know generate reputation essentially and so i think that coming at it from again organizational identity uh really helps to um kind of seed an ecosystem with with reputation and trust which we can talk about more yeah, and since you talked about Glyph a little bit, I did do a podcast probably a couple of years ago. I'll have to find the episode with uh, Carla McKenna from uh, the Global Legal Entity Identifier Foundation. But it, it may be worth just talking a little bit, especially that you're bringing in governance in now as well. Just to talk from the perspective of Glyph and legal identity identifiers, and maybe within the context of a use case, which is makes things a little bit easier to understand, and we could probably understand how you start from governance and a root of trust and how chaining and delegation happens all the way down through organizations to employees, to their roles and so forth. And so there's one example you had been talking to me about with the EU banking authority and kind of the, as you mentioned, the genesis of Glyph being after the financial crisis and 
2008. So can you talk a little bit about what organizational identity looks like from the perspective of GLIFE organizations that they're working with that are regulated under the EU banking authority? And then just the benefits, I guess, that as a relying party, the EU banking authority gets from this reputation or this trust. Just to kind of uh, do a quick history. Uh, so essentially the G20 helped to stand up GLIFE. And if you were going to stand up uh, an organization uh, like that, that, that needs to be kind of a genesis, if you will, for for some identifiers um, for for companies all across the globe. Well, uh, you know, starting a a nonprofit uh, that's in Switzerland and uh, that's kind of globally distributed with offices all over the the world um, is 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 a good place to start. Uh, it, it's you know, Glyph itself is is heavily regulated by uh, the board. Uh, it's called the Rock, uh, which is has representatives again uh, that are that are all across the globe uh, a lot of them come from kind of a financial uh, background because uh, again if you were going to create something like this well having a strong use case like the 2008 financial crisis is a uh, is a good way to have a focus a targeted focus on 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 the problem you need to solve so since uh kind of clay has been stood up there's been 2.4 million legal entity identifiers so leis uh, i loved by the way the the uh, episode that you did with carla mckenna uh from glyph just fantastic about the governance framework and and so those those leis 2.4 million leis include companies like Chase Bank, but also companies like Coca-Cola, uh, and so it's quite a uh, uh, an adoption. There's there's regulators that essentially uh, all over the globe who uh, essentially, when a company you know is involved in the financial system or or in other uh, industries, that the LEI as a ISO standard is mandated that they they receive an lei and so they go through a process uh uh, you know a bit of a kyc process where they have to submit their documents and things like that and and they receive this identifier and you can go onto glyph.org and essentially look up uh, which companies have leis uh but so that is a non-cryptographic identifier right it's it's similar to you know any other identifier that we've written down on paper and uh you know shown somebody uh in order to do the the transactions in life that that we need to do um but the VLEI is essentially the SSI cryptographic identifier stack um the decentralized identity stack uh for that that correlates to these LEIs uh and so with the VLEI, you uh, you are given well. You create actually your your company and the representatives um, create an identifier that that is a cryptographic identifier that's bound to public and private keys, and we can kind of go into more of that. Um, but the point is, uh, we're, what you're what you're trying to do is seed a system that can leverage essentially the the concept of the LEI. Uh, the ability to trace organizations by an identifier and and know who the representatives are, but now do it digitally uh, and do it in a way that's cryptographically verifiable and um, not just cryptographically verifiable in an instant 
right? It's not just, you know, are you and I having this conversation now? Can we can we trade, you know, cryptographic material in a way that makes us feel like uh, this this um, conversation that we're having is secure, right? But instead, for me to be able to make an important statement about a company that I that I work for, or um, you know, submit a regulatory report or something like that, and have that over time be able to exist beyond the moment that it was submitted right to have that regulatory report or or artifact exist you know long before a ceo steps uh, long after a ceo steps down or, or or something like that so um this is the problem that essentially uh you know we've been trying to solve at various levels uh, in the ssi community for a long time but the because of the governance framework that Glyph has defined, uh, and and uh, shout out to Trust Over IP who you know helped to essentially provide um, uh, the scaffolding, if you will, for creating governance frameworks uh, within the SSI world, uh, and then Glyph's uh, implementation of that for legal entities specifically uh, is is to my knowledge, uh, you know, the most successful and, and kind of complete implementation of that, that trust over IP um, scaffolding for, for a governance framework. And, and so what that governance framework is defining for the VLEI system is essentially what are all the roles and uh, how does, how does this, this, uh, this seeding of trust begin uh, and, and so back with LEIs, um, you, you essentially had in the governance framework for LEIs, it said that there was something called LOUs. The, I, the idea of an LOU is that all across the globe, you would spread out uh, kind of the ability for um, an LEI to be granted uh, to, across these LOUs. The LOUs would do the actual work uh, for for um, doing the KYC, uh, you know, verification process. Uh, and so... In, v in VLEIs, uh, there's a similar concept. Uh, even though Glyph is the the root of trust for a VLEI credential, um, they don't actually issue any of those uh, credentials. They're not they 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 ish, they um, essentially issue QVIs the ability. QVIs are qualified um, VLEI issuers. They they see that ability to QVIs and then QVIs can be spread across uh, the globe and and provide the issuance of this digital credential for these for these companies and um, so that is the beginnings and the, of the seeding of of the kind of the cryptographic uh, uh, portion of of the VLEI ecosystem. So now, if you if you have essentially Glyph as uh, the root of trust um, for for uh, VLEIs, and then you have QVIs issuing these. Now companies are coming with their LEIs. Uh, you know, there's 2.4 million of them now, and more all the time. They can come with their LEI, go through a, 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 a another kind of KYC process that's specific to kind of creating this cryptographic um, relationship, uh, and um, they can receive essentially the credentials necessary um, for the representative. So the OORs of a of a company, uh, those are the uh, you know organizational representatives, uh, the official organizational representatives. OOR stands for official organizational role. So OOR persons. 
persons who represent legal entities in official roles. Uh, and then um, the QVIs or the companies, depending on uh, the, how the relationship gets set up and the technical abilities of, of the, the company, then ECRs. ECR stands for Engagement Context Role. So ECR persons, persons who represent legal entities in functional roles. Are a type of credential that's um, given that's essentially a delegation of authority to what you can effectively think of as an employee, right? As an employee comes on, on boards on to the, com uh, to the company, they receive uh, a credential um, that's, uh, um, uh, yeah, allows them to, to execute a particular task. So that's um, kind of the tracing down to now what you're talking about is a, is a regulator, okay? And a regulator has a decision Right. If you, uh, in this case, uh, well, Glyph just completed a proof of concept with um, the EBA, which is the European Banking Authority, uh, and and tough task, right, for for the EBA in the sense that they have to regulate banks across uh, the EU, and so that's across multiple countries, and they are they going to create essentially the account system for those banks to be able to submit regulatory documents um, to them uh, in order for them to regulate them uh, and and have kind of you know a a uh, a legal artifact that's um, tying what the bank says that they they are doing and 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 their hierarchy uh, to to a document that they submit. And so in a traditional, uh, you know, IT system. Yeah, the EBA would have stood up a, a, a an account system that every bank would come in and have to register, and you know, you would have to kind of go through the growing pains of oh, there's this special case for this bank and and for this bank, and so we need to change our system that way. And right, it would be this very um, arduous process of trying to create the centralized system. And not only is it arduous, as we know, with the uh, with the internet and any centralized uh, service, um, this becomes an attack vector, right? And that, that now the EBA is responsible for, um, it, you know, it, I, I, I don't know about you, Matthew, but uh, I've had multiple government or, uh, uh, you know, other types of accounts that uh, I've been notified over time, you know, uh, there's been a compromise, uh, you know, your information's out there here. These are some things that you can do. And yeah, it's very frustrating, right? Uh, and and so uh, an organization like EBA can can make a choice if they're going to try to set up that and and go through that process. And you know, it's just a massive investment uh, from their side, or they can choose to leverage the VLEI system. Uh, and and how would that work? Well, if every bank has an LEI, which they do uh, in 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 the, the European Union, then uh, they can all get VLEIs, which now gives them their cryptographic identifiers and capabilities. Then they can express their bank in terms of their representatives and the employees that they need in order to comply with regulatory uh, oversight. And so using the VLEI system and, and these OR credentials and the ECR credentials, um, they, uh, they, you can now essentially, you know, construct this this uh, reporting 
um, this entire reporting chain that uh, will result in someone, and in this case, uh, we'll, we'll say they have the document submitter role for their company, that that person uh, with the document submitter role will, you know, essentially collect all the information. Hopefully that information is, you know, signed information. There's 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 rules about uh, kind of wh what needs to be signed uh, in that report. And um, assuming the signatures in that report are valid and assuming that the employee who actually submits to the EBA this report um assuming that that's that's valid a valid submission because they have a valid ecr credential that says that they are the eba document submitter for uh you know a bank uh, in in the european union that now that is pretty much the only thing that the bank is going to have to verify they only have to set up enough of an it system to securely accept uh this credential uh, I'm sorry, this report uh, and the credential. Uh, so they have to verify the credential of the, the submitter and then verify that the report has the proper signatures. And you've just created essentially a, it could even be global, but you know, we'll say a, a continental uh, 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 reporting system um, that is end-to-end -end verifiable cryptographically. And so if ever there's an error in, you know, a statement in that report, you know, which could just, uh, be by mistake or maybe intentional, you don't know, but, uh, you know, over time you can trace back through that entire, uh, uh, supply chain, if you will, for a report and then kind of discover where the mistake was made and, and with who, and, and so you would know who to go to. Well, all of this really it co comes from a solid root of trust and governance, but it's all about just integrity of signatures. And it seems like a lot of the problems that exist today on the internet, within organizations, when fraud happens, cybersecurity attacks, all somewhat have to do with the integrity of signatures. And so if we take all of what you just walked us through here and we look at the way that authentication is done today. I, I think over the past couple of years, we've seen more widespread adoption of multi-factor authentication being used by different companies, which is great, but multi-factor authentication today is designed to identify devices and not necessarily identities. It's not bound to an identity or a signature. It's just more bound to, to a device. So it, it has gaps there and I do believe if we we always come back to big headline cybersecurity attacks, as we're talking today, just over the past month or so, there was a big attack on MGM, the big gaming company, through um, Okta servers, where I guess hackers took advantage of some vulnerabilities with highly privileged users and being able to take advantage of turning off multi-factor authentication uses. But so... It, it may be interesting to just to look through another example here. We talked about the EBA, uh, the EU Banking Authority, and how something like signatures with integrity and, and all of the other pieces could bring trust and security and so forth. Let's talk about another example and just looking at this recent MGM Okta attack. And it would be great if you could just walk through how this attack happened and then again how through these new mechanisms that we're talking about here with high integrity signatures wrapped with governance 
that um, we could have resolved or prevented this issue from happening altogether. Yeah, that it really brings up the, it highlights the difference between an administrative root of trust and a cryptographic root of trust. Essentially, what we've been dealing with uh, on the internet uh, in terms of accounts, and and like you said, it's uh, a lot of the accounts uh, don't necessarily identify uh, uh, or not very good at identifying a person. Uh, instead, uh, machines and things like that. Essentially, the internet stack uh, skipped the identity step. Right, uh, and and there, it's not like that wasn't discussed all throughout uh, the well, the end of the '80s and the '90s. Um, but what we ended up with is, um, yeah, a mechanism for for uh, moving information across a network, which is which has been amazing right for us but it's also been a security nightmare <laughs> and and we've we've tried very hard to create uh, essentially um these administrative roots of trust uh so so pki works this way right there's a there's a, a certificate authority and and the administrators um, um for that uh the the you have administrators for the the actual domain um that 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 you're you're controlling and the servers related to it um you know uh, big tech has created uh, uh, accounts for us that um, uh, essentially are centralized, uh, and um, you know that obviously creates issues as well. Even though you know uh, somebody like a Google is fully capable of scaling, you know globally, they've shown that right. Uh, the the there's political issues with that, uh, uh, you know, administrative issues. But uh, you know, the biggest thing uh, in this case we're talking about is, uh, you know, these the attack surface area, right? What is the what is the hardest mechanism? What what is what is well, really, what is the easiest uh, attack that hackers can leverage in order to gain? trusted access to a system uh and and so what what these centralized kind of uh administrative roots of trust do is they create this fortress and it's a big fortress with you know long walls if you will uh and in the security mechanisms in terms of um you know, kind of the classic movie hacker who's, you know, got their command line prompt up and they're they're moving through, you know, different tunneling mechanisms and, you know, uh, taking advantage of different IT infrastructure. Uh, the truth is a lot of times that's not how it goes, right? Usually if, if it's an administrative root of trust, you attack at the person level. People are tend to be more vulnerable uh, in these kind of systems. And so, um, Social engineering is is a much easier attack than any you know brute force computing attack, uh, which you know only which which are, are probably less and less effective uh, at least until um, you know post quantum type computers are are created. So so you attack essentially the people. You try to find a way to gain access to an account that has enough um, privilege in order to. Uh, you know, get inside the system. And once you're inside the system, it's essentially a honeypot, 
right? And so, so that's why uh, often, like I said, over time, I've gotten these letters from different, uh, you know, governing bodies or or large companies or whatever who have, have had an attack, and they send me a letter, and oh, you know, how far did the attack go? Well, it was thousands or hundreds of thousands, or you know, depending on the size of the thing, maybe millions of users, uh, and and so. The MGM, yeah, Okta attack is just another instance where you have this massive organization that is now losing uh, millions, probably hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, of you know, over weeks, right? It doesn't doesn't take that long to lose a lot of money, uh, you know, in those systems, and you know, how how did it happen? An administrative account was was attacked and. You know that's it. You're you're you've got enough um, uh, access to then. Uh, I think uh, you know Caesars paid fifteen million dollars to essentially uh, you know get back their their uh, data that was essentially stolen uh, and you know ransomwareed and uh, so yeah the it's it's a much different world in the cryptographic root of trust world right where the VLEI exists. Uh, instead of these massive honeypots, um, what you're trying to, because you're decentralizing uh, the identifiers to individuals and to companies and things like that, that begins to distribute some of the the danger uh, and the surface area for these things uh, are, are points all over the globe instead of, you know, this centralized uh, thing. But that doesn't mean that, you know, an accounts can't still be uh, compromised. I mean, it definitely, definitely will be right. So, if we were designing first principles uh, systems, we, we assume that uh, over time, every account, uh, the strength of its security uh, and the possibility of compromise, uh, you know, is growing with time. Uh, and so, we we have to take that into account. So, what are some of the mechanisms that we can use? Well, you know, when when I said that you create, uh, you know, a company identifier to in order to get a VLEI. Uh, for your company, most companies, uh, you know, the Coca-Colas and the Chases, uh, they have multiple representatives, right? And so you wouldn't want to make it so that a single representative in that that company, uh, if you gain access to their account, you know, it's over. You've you've been owned, and uh, you know now this company is doing all kinds of things that it's it's not intending to do because one of the identifiers has been you know cryptographically compromised. Instead, uh, you create multi-sig. Uh, identifiers, uh, and not only just multi-sig, multi-sig meaning that there's uh, multiple signatures required in order for that identifier to execute an action. Not only is it multi-sig requiring these identifiers uh, to 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 agree, but uh, you know you can specify things like uh, okay for a a, a valid action to occur uh, you know i need 3 of 5 of the signatures so you know there's five representatives for this company uh, and they've all got uh, their own identifiers that have their own uh, ability to do cryptographic signatures you need 3 of the 5 so now you've just made it so that oh you know a, 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 an attacker has to compromise at least three of those accounts. So they have to locate who they are. They have to do all of the social engineering or whatever other types of attacks that they, they're going to try to do. Uh, and, and so, and it has to be kind of done, uh, you know, 
all at one time, right? It has to be like this this uh, rush attack because if one of those accounts is is compromised and it's detected that that account is compromised, what are you going to do? You're going to recover from that compromise, and and we we can talk about those mechanisms uh, after this. But yeah, essentially now uh, you have a, a much higher barrier of entry as an attacker in order to um, compromise the the you know corporate account or some other you know account that is important the, the the bottom line is that every account that that a person uses within the VLEI uh, ecosystem or a company uses should have multi-sig set up so if I I'm a, you know a single person uh, that has my identifier and I have a role within the company you know I'm an employee I'm a software developer for Glyph uh, and so that gives me certain privileges uh, within Glyph even I will set up a multi-sig. Uh, so I'll have my identifier actually be tied to multiple devices, right? It'll be my mobile phone. It'll be my laptop. It'll be, uh, you know, I may have a paper uh, identifier that's secured, you know, by some, you know, uh, paper cryptographic um, credential, something like that, where now you, in order to to hack my singular account you also have to hack more than one of my devices because i'll set up a multi-sig let's say let's let's say it's uh two of three uh and so it's kind of this multi-factor uh uh thing that we're we're accustomed to and it's cryptographic so i can use things like a hardware security module as well uh uh you know other you know my phone has a has a obviously a um you know a trusted enclave portion to it so um yeah, you get to you you get some flexibility to um, create multi-sig in your individual accounts, and then imagine if all these individual accounts uh, are, are multi-sig, and then uh, the corporate accounts are also multi-sig. Okay, so now you have to hack multiple devices for multiple individuals, and then hack multiple individuals, compromise them in order to gain access, uh, you know, to let's say a corporate account, and so now the the attack surface is completely unmanageable. I'm not aware of uh, any multi-sig of multi-sig compromise, you know, on the planet. Now, part of that is there's just not many that exist. Uh, and and uh, so hopefully that's going to change in a big way uh, over the next few years um, using the VLEI ecosystem. But yeah, it's uh, it's all about essentially making it so that an attacker just isn't going to spend the time and and making it so that even if they compromise something it's it has so little return just that singular thing that yeah they're not going to spend the time you know trying on multiple devices with all that being said yeah we should uh we can talk more about kind of the other security mechanisms related to those things but uh just the concept alone of multi-sig of multi-sig and really delegation of authority uh is is uh, so delegation is kind of a, a separate um, concept uh, in the VLEI ecosystem. There's there's the ability to actually have uh, an uh, to do a delegation to a specific identifier in order for it to do uh, act on your behalf uh, in certain ways. Um, so that's between identifiers, but more commonly, delegation of authority uh, via like a credential that I can revoke as a as a company. So I have an employee. Let's say they are the document submitter for for EBA for submitting our reports. Well, when that employee moves on, I can then revoke that credential. And, you know, that's more common in the SSI world. I think that, that we've seen that kind of uh, use case. And, you know, that's also an extremely effective way to, um, yeah, be able to manage kind of this 
hierarchy of security that is um, agile enough to kind of adapt over time, but also create such a, just a high barrier of entry for any attacker. Yeah, so uh, definitely agree that most attacks nowadays happen via social engineering. The weak point is the human in there that controls the username and the password or is, or is able to do a permission change and so forth. And I do agree that if it's too difficult, people are too lazy to, if you just add that one barrier on, on top of it with multi-factor authentication or signatures via crypto roots of trust versus admin accounts, you're just going to significantly increase the barriers and reduce the the attack vectors one of the other security mechanisms that maybe is worth talking about is the rotation of uh, keys and there's a lot of areas where this doesn't happen today um i think one one security mechanism that organizations put in place is just changing your password every every 30 days or on, on a specific cadence so there's the idea of rotation but how do we distinguish between that type of rotation versus rotating keys under perhaps a public or private identifier? How is that done? And of course, there's a lot of areas where that's not done today. Like one easy one I could think of is just like if I, if I have a crypto account or address on a specific blockchain, like there's no ability to ever rotate keys, which definitely creates big uh, security the risks and, and the attack vectors there. So we talked about multi-sig, the power of that uh, may be worth diving a little bit deeper into uh, the rotation of keys and why that is so important and why it's maybe not that hard to uh, put into place. Yeah, this, um, so so the the VLEI stack, the technological stack is uh, based on carry, uh, K-E-R-I, which uh, stands for Key Event Receipt Infrastructure. And uh, this kind of goes back to um, the first principles approach. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, over time, as I, you know, kind of learned about the SSI ecosystem and you know the different things, uh, two things that were often uh, kind of hand waved. Uh, you know, they, there's support here and there, but uh, you know, often it's neglected, uh, which is the ability to rotate. Uh, and and the implications of what a rotation has for credentials and you know any signatures that exist out out in the wild over time uh, and 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 revocation itself I think uh, often was is uh, you know we know we need it but uh, you know being able to scale revocation and you know how do you design a system to be uh, to 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 handle revocation. Uh, and what are the implications when you know something's revoked? Uh, the, you know, I've I've found that the you know these are kind of the the areas that uh, are are often um, well, it gets complicated fast. I guess uh, is is one way to put it. So, what is what is one of the like um, you know novel features of carry that that has really helped it to serve this role? If, if you assume that any account over time uh, is becoming weaker uh, because every time you have to even just pull uh, your key information into memory in order to use it, um, you know, there's potential, right? You're, you're increasing your, your attack surface. Uh, but it, yeah, every time you have to use your keys, uh, essentially, 
your cryptogra- your cryptographic keys uh you're you're essentially you know creating uh opportunity uh for for attack and so so over time essentially there's a there's a degradation of those keys uh i think you did say something about 30 days and it reminded me that um the guidance for um for for x509 uh certificates uh, the guidance is that, uh, you know, the keys related to uh, your X509 infrastructure should be rotated every 30 days. Well, how many <laughs> how many organizations do we know that are actually, uh, you know, listening to that guidance? Um, and, and so you need this ability to go from, this is my public and private key, right? My asymmetric key pair. I need to be able to move from this to, to another one. Uh, and so pre-rotation is the term that's used um, that that I essentially believe that Kerry has made kind of famous. Uh, and that's that when you create your identifier, you actually have created it with public private key pairs for your current uh, key state, but you've also committed to a future um, key state, a public private key pair. Uh, and so that's that's called pre-rotation because you're essentially uh, setting up your your ability to rotate in the future. And so why is that important? Um, uh, it's important because if you ever detect uh, that your account has been compromised, right? Somehow you've you've lost control uh, of your identifier. Um, you need a way to be able to say, okay, you know my secret that I currently have, but you don't know the next secret uh, that that I committed to. And so you can rotate essentially uh, to those new keys. And by the way, when you rotate, you have to, you've, you're, you, you, you are now exposing the, pub, uh, the public uh, key of, of your uh, pre-rotated, uh, you know, future keys. That becomes your current key state, and you have to now commit to a new future uh, set of keys. Uh, and you know, in multisig, you know, obviously that could be multiple uh, pairs of 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 public-private key pairs. Um, and and I think it's important to note that you know, let's take again, we're doing, let's say we're so we're doing first principles identity, right? And first, and 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 that requires, uh, you know these cryptographic mechanisms for overcoming uh, this compromise. Well, you know, people talk about post quantum uh, secure, right? How, how how do you how can you be post quantum secure if if you know all the keys key pairs that we're creating right now are 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 secure until, you know, quantum computers come online, you know, what happens after that, right? And so the commitment that you make to your future key pairs uh in carry with pre-rotation that commitment doesn't expose the public key. It actually is a digest, a hash of of that um, future public key. And it turns out that uh, a digest of a of a public key is post quantum secure. So that's fascinating, right? That that even though the the public key itself that that's that's you know the result of that digest, even though that public key itself isn't post quantum secure the commitment to it is post-quantum secure. So this is now you've essentially baked post-quantum uh, 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 security into your 
key management mechanism. Now, of course, if if uh, tomorrow we found out that you know there's all of these uh, uh, quantum computers that are out there breaking you know everything, you would have to rotate. If you know, let's say you're doing your VLEI, you would have to rotate to that that new key. Of course, that new key is is not uh, doesn't have the strength to to withstand the the post quantum. But you would immediately do another rotation so that um, you have essentially you're now using a key pair that is post quantum secure. And of course, your commitment was always uh, to your future keys uh, uh, is also post quantum secure. So, not to you know I, talk about the post quantum side it's so much, but um, the the point is that pre-rotation is the mechanism for allowing an identifier to become a persistent identifier. So I had said it uh, earlier um, that we want these identifiers for a company to long outlast uh, the representatives, right? Coca-Cola, how long has that company uh, been around? Um, you know, and, and and how long will it be in the future? Probably a long time. And and so you know, CEOs will come and go, employees will come and go. Um, but the ability for the identifier for that organization of Coca-Cola, you want that to be able to persist over time. So you have to build this um, this key management structure um, that essentially uses key events that are all chained together. And so carry, K-E-R-I, the, the key event is the the it's a log if you will or or you can even think of it as a it's a micro blockchain uh it's a it's a micro ledger uh for just for your identifier uh the key state of your identifier and so that's where cryptographic trust starts is the ability to start cryptographically but then over time to manage uh an identifier's cryptographic key state so that you can go as far into the future uh, as, as you need. So these persistent identifiers, uh, this concept is, yeah, core to Carrie. Carrie was designed um, to solve this problem. And so that's uh, hopefully ties back to kind of when I'm saying first principles identity, it's not just the idea that, oh, we can use a, you know, asymmetric key pair uh, and then you know, associate with an identifier, and so we're good to go. We can start doing these cryptographic operations. There's there's much more to it uh, than than that because you need a history, and and within that history, to take it back to signatures now, uh, you know, let's let's use the uh, EBA uh, proof of concept. Uh, you know, uh, the European Banking Authority they received this report. It has a bunch of signatures in it. Well, if uh, uh, let's say the CEO is one of the, uh, the signers of that report, let's say they signed it three rotations ago. How do you know that that signature is valid or not? If you don't have a log of the key events that helps you to uh, trace the history of these things, then you don't really know, right? The, if, 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 if the CEO's account uh, let's say you know was compromised. Their their key was compromised somehow, uh, and they had to rotate, or they just chose to rotate at some time. And possibly an attacker could have attacked their 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 uh, you know cryptographic keys, you know, and it it be discovered and they rotated, or perhaps over time 
an attacker figured out an old key because you know the public key was was uh, was out there and you know somehow they've they've compromised an old key. Well, the signature was was that signature from um, the CEO at the time, or or was it you know is it some compromised key? And so looking at the um, key event log uh, of an identifier uh, allows you to essentially know that at the time of signature that was the key state for that identifier and you know that that identifier is um tied to the ceo and therefore it is a valid ceo signature even though the key state has changed over time hopefully that wasn't too um <laughs> techie but um it really this this concept of of pre-rotation is um is massively important and we're starting to see many uh other uh ssi stacks adopting it because we're we're you know it's 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 this is going to be and is at this point but but it will be pervasive across um the ssi community over time so we've been quite heavily focused on security features so far today and these being able to prevent different problems like this MGM Mokta hack from happening and, and a bunch of others. And I assume if I was actually at a cybersecurity conference last week, if you walk into there and you look at all the vendors in the space that are providing patch solutions, I guess, to, to, to different problems and until some of these core first principle based security items that we're talking about are, are solved, it's going to be difficult to prevent attacks from happening and and with the advent of things like generative ai it's becoming just cheaper and cheaper to conduct cybersecurity attacks alongside all sorts of other things we so we've talked about security it's worth maybe talking about the user experience for a second because at the end of the day it's not always the best security product or the best performing product altogether that gets adoption and it often comes to just the ease of use it often comes to knowing where the market is at knowing what the current user experience is not necessarily changing people's habits too drastically or else it, it becomes very difficult to to gain adoption so maybe one thing talking about just within an organization and an organization implementing a policy it could be another ux story altogether for just talking about general consumer use of these things but uh, how important is just user experience and design in this whole context of obviously security being the top thing that, that we need to be thinking about, but how important is user experience and how confident are you with all of these um, improvements of security features that they could be implemented within solutions pretty easily and will make it appealing for people to use? Yeah, that's such a good question. I do think that some of the elements are a little bit surprising. So we talked about multi-sig, uh, and that probably feels to anyone who hasn't really considered it, it probably feels daunting. But uh, in fact, multi-sig is you know allows you to to kind of uh, introduce your devices uh, into the process, and you know like, like we've talked about, there's you know multi-factor authentication that people. Uh, are 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 used to so uh in some ways i do think that um 
the user, some of these elements, you know, make the user experience easier. But you are right that um, in terms of cryptographic things, uh, you know, uh, the identifiers in 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 the VLEI ecosystem in Kerry, uh, they are cryptographic identifiers, and you know, you look at them, and it just is can be overwhelming. Uh, so, so I would say that uh, UX for sure has to find um, smart ways of of kind of working around that. And, you know, we've, uh, you're just as, uh, you know, an internet community who's, who's uh, uses browsers and UIs, uh, you know, obviously database tables and identifiers within databases and indexes and all these kinds of things. Well, you know, that's not an impossible problem to solve, but the management of these things is another reason that I think that SSI growing up from like a personal identifier is very hard because you're putting quite a burden on somebody who, you know, had a, had various reasons for why they wanted to, uh, their their own, you know, to be able to control their identity. But in a, in a corporate environment, there's at least a a, a higher um, threshold for um, at least doing some identifier slash key management. It's it's um, it it still requires UX. That's excellent. You know, I've given. I've given multiple talks on on various SSI topics. Uh, and, you know, the most recent one was uh, secure organizational identity, which was at IAW, and it was great to see you there. Uh, that was the thirty seventh, I think, um, Internet Identity Workshop, and just you know, it, just an incredible uh, unconference, right? So it's uh, just yeah, just this incredible conference of of ideas being traded and uh, about identity and implementations and things like that but yeah in that secure organizational identity talk you know our first three bullet points for that are most important for uh, a secure organizational identity is security 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 ironically and i hadn't even thought about this at the time but uh, i had given no i had attended uh, a talk by drummond reed from trust over ip uh, you know, he can be thought of as one of the godfathers. You've had him, uh, you know, on here on SSI Orbit multiple times, I think. And, um, he, you know, he said that for adoption uh, of SSI technologies, the, you know, three most important things were UX, UX, UX. And, and I, I parroted that in, in uh, you know, some slides and a presentation that I did after that. So it's ironic that, uh, uh, you know, I fully feel that... Um, that tension between uh, the two, security, 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 and UX, UX, UX. Uh, it's um, it's just going to require more time spent on it. I do believe that, um, yeah, like I said, the the there is some analogy to to you know databases and indexes and things like that. But um, uh, yeah, it'll be really important for if you're the EBA document submitter for it to just look like a website to you that you are uh you know you've you can see the status of a report and and you know the signatures that are on there and the signatures that are still needed uh and then for you to be able to yourself sign that report and then for you to be able to upload it uh, to the EBA uh, so that they, you know, can give you a check mark that says we've received your report and you know your regulatory status is, uh, you know, currently compliant, right? So, so kind of that human um, 
workflow uh, is going to be really important. Uh, and and you know you did note uh, yeah that crypto accounts right uh, there, you know a lot of people have done kind of cryptocurrency stuff, but um, not so much you know in the non technical community. Uh, and and so yeah, those uh, I, I hadn't I hadn't really talked about it much uh, during the pre rotation stuff, but. Uh, yeah, those those are were cryptographic identifiers, and so there's some um, you know these uh, Chrome extensions and things like that that uh, help people to kind of manage um, you know a, a cryptographic identifier. We need essentially the same things within the SSI community, um, uh, but instead of you know kind of looking to see how much of your uh, you know fungible tokens you have, or that's like the cryptocurrency world, right? In in the identity world. You need uh, to be able to manage your key state, uh, be able to rotate your keys. Uh, if it's multi-sig, which it should be, you need a good UX that's helping you to know that, uh, oh, in order for us to do this rotation, you know, we've got to go through the kind of, I'll call it multi-factor uh, authentication, but you, you need to collect the multiple signatures. And so, yeah, we need effective UXs uh, that kind of help you to know the status, similar to kind of the status of the signing of a report. You need to know the status of uh, your key state uh, and 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 the meeting the threshold for um, being able to execute a transaction or a rotation or or something like that. So for most normal users we, we need to hide those cryptographic uh, elements as much as possible so that to them it feels um important uh but not overwhelming and it's probably worth differentiating ux from a just consumer individual standpoint from an organizational standpoint like it's probably not that it's an easy thing to do but you could implement the process and train staff on on using something and have regular refreshers and audits and, and stuff like that where whereas on the personal side of things adoption is not driven the same way like your organization will have a business process they want to put into place because there's a clear business case there versus with an end consumer and if, if we think about that a SPAC acronym security privacy authenticity and confidentiality I think for organizations, we've been obviously talking about security being number one. You said security, security, security. I'd say probably authenticity is is there as well versus we often hear on the consumer side about privacy and confidentiality. But at the same time, until like good good enough user experiences are created or, or I, don't, I don't know what, it's going to be tough to change consumer behavior, especially when... People talk about privacy and confidentiality, but um, surveys show that general people don't really care that much about it. They're still willing to use products that makes make their lives easier, even though there may be gaps there as well. So if I take it back to how we opened up the conversation saying, do we think organizational ID is easier to implement than personal ID or will it see adoption quicker? There's probably, probably still some challenges to overcome and we talked about ux but it seems like it's a seems like it's a easier path to implementation than the complex environment of personal identities um is, I yeah, guess, I agree. Where, where i'm getting to yeah absolutely i think um 
yeah, it's just the way that 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 humans in a personal context approach, you know, a task, especially, you know, the official tasks in their life. Uh, it's just way different than when you're getting paid by a company and that, yeah, they're providing training and they have the resources to kind of stand up uh, a context specific, uh, you know, uh, way of, of, of executing the actions. Right. Uh, I think probably it would be a mistake to, um, you know, to think that even, you know, within the VLEI ecosystem that we could come up with a, a generic inter uh, user experience for, you know, all things related to keys and signatures and, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, certainly there'll be some core uh, kind of components to build off of, but one of the really important parts of the VLEI ecosystem is uh, that 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 because it has a a legal entity uh, framework to it, you know, use case to it, uh, uh, that that the the idea of contracts in the disclosure of information and 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 in the transactions for for companies is is extremely important. So so again, if you were um, building a first principles uh, identity stack if that identity stack um, doesn't include the ability to kind of introduce the contractual um, portions of of life especially for organizational identity um, then uh, you know there's something something lacking there so this is a, this is another I feel like um, important portion of the VLEI ecosystem um, that uh, in IPEX, so so the the issuance presentation, you know, exchange of of verifiable credentials in in the VLEI ecosystem, it's often referred to as um, graduated disclosure, uh, and, and so that kind of sounds sounds like if you're an SSI person, like selective disclosure, but um, it, there's some nuance to it, and so it's got a slightly different name, which which by the way happens often in the kind of carry stack i think i think uh you know a little side tangent is that sometimes uh you know people who are from other ssi you know technology stacks and they start to see these these new terms that sound similar or, or and related to to terms that they know so in this case graduated disclosure versus like selective disclosure well the truth is selective disclosure you know in the vli ecosystem uh is is just a portion uh of of graduated disclosure but um kind of one of the big elements is it, you know Matthew if you and I are 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 doing exchange with each other the the truth is we only want to exchange the minimum amount of data uh to each other in order for us to move on to the next step whatever that next step may be so so um you know you you say uh something like um you know okay uh, are you a legal entity you know and so maybe i i provide my my um legal entity identifier but then now that you know that i'm a legal entity uh, let's say that you're um well, let's just say that you're you're the EBA. You know, are you a regulated, uh, you know, legal entity? Uh, you know, and now I disclose some information about, let's say, I'm a bank or something like that. Um, but but in that process, because uh, you had mentioned SPAC and 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 privacy, uh, and so you know, it, it triggered triggered this thought. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Sam Smith, uh, who's the creator of Carry at IAW, which we were both just at, they they. 
it, well, he gave some talks uh, about privacy and, you know, I don't want to get too much into that uh, portion of it just because of time. Um, but the truth is that the way that we protect companies and individuals is through contract uh, contracts it's it's contractually protected uh mechanisms right but we we also use things like encryption and things like that uh you know so that we can uh remain confidential and and uh signatures uh you know and with key event logs and all these things for authenticity and but with legal entities uh the every transaction essentially ends up being a contractually protected uh, interaction, right? Companies do NDAs with each other and all these kinds of things. So, so that's actually built into the the exchange uh, uh, for the VLEI ecosystem is this ability to the, do these graduated disclosures. They don't always endeavor to provide, uh, you know, non-correlating information, but instead, uh, that is an element uh, for like the selective disclosure part of of uh, gradual disclosure. But um, as we're interacting, we should be able to kind of step up our relationship uh, in terms of the terms and, and contracts that are in place in order to divulge information. And and the the truth is, whether it's personal identity or or organizational identity, w once you give someone information, it's, it's there, like they have control over the fact that they've seen that information. But if you can tie contracts to the disclosure of that information, um, then now at least there is a legal mechanism that if that information is misused, um, that you have legal recourse. Uh, and even in personal identity, this this is effective in the sense that, you know, companies can can generally afford to do you know legal action with each other um but 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 individuals it's it's much harder but um you know uh, in in most places there's the the cont the idea that you know many individuals can bundle together uh you know to 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 affect a legal action you know on let's say a company that might be misusing their data or something like that um and so this idea of tying contracts throughout the process of um, of exchanging information between companies and individuals uh, is is another first principles, uh, you know, just uh, important element of of the VLEI ecosystem, uh, and 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 a lot of times it's it's kind of this step by step process where it's like okay if 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 this information is enough and you know we validated it and we want to move on well now we can you know instead of presenting you with this massive contract from the beginning and you have no idea if the two of you are ever even going to you know go through the full process ne needed for that contract uh it, you know to be able to kind of uh do it in a gradual way right gradually protected disclosure um i think is is really important Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed these conversations as much as I do. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on the platform of your choice to make sure you're notified of new episodes that may be of interest to you. If you're looking to connect, feel free to reach out directly to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Catch you all later.